Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by David Tussey, director and founder of Tussey's Chartered Accountants. Tussie's Chartered Accountants is an independent firm of chartered accountants and business advisors. David, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think a leader has to show, um, you know, knowledge and experience and um, show that he has faith in his employees and and the people that are going to help the, uh, the his organization and i think generally you know if if you trust the people and give them the you know the guidance and they will come to respect the firm and uh, and work hard in order to improve it you know so trust is essential yes trust and and and, and having trust in the, the goodness of, of a person that trying his best to help the company i mean you soon know if a person is not suitable for the job, you know, and you, you, you approach and say, look, you know, this is not probably for you. Um, I think generally in, in, in practice, if the making mistakes is probably the, the most important thing in, in learning a job. If, if a guy makes a mistake and then he learns from it and then he's not going to make that mistake again, if he keeps on making the same mistakes, then also he's not suitable for the job. But in my experience, I've learned the most when I've, I've made an error and I thought, I'm not doing that again. And, you know, that sort of gives you a lot of experience, really, you know. Well, let's go back um, to the beginning of your career when you were first learning. Was there a particular individual who inspired you to lead in the way that you do? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think I don't think there was, actually. I just knew what I, how I wanted to work myself, how I wanted to be treated. Uh, there was a few experiences when I thought I'm not going to do if I open my own practice, I'm not doing that. Um, and I've, I've learned from that really. I mean, I suppose a couple of guys you look up to, but I can't say there was anybody in particular now. Now you've led a, a quite interesting life and lived in uh, many different countries and worked in many different countries. Do you find that there's a difference in leadership style in these different locations? Uh, no. So no. you you think the the no. trust and the respect uh, is a universal leadership trait, or at least should be. I, well, another thing is you should you shouldn't really lose your temper when 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 you're at work. You know, it's no good. I've had I've had experiences with with well, bosses and people I've worked for that completely lost it at work, screaming at the employees, and they, that's just no good at all. You know, you've got to keep cool. You know, you've got to understand that the, the, the fault, the mistake wasn't done on purpose, and you know, just losing your rag doesn't do any good at all. I mean, I know that there's this famous. Uh, but guys and bosses that lose their rights, like Alex Ferguson, for instance, Alex, you know, and he seemed to have an effect on individuals. Uh, somehow or other, seemed to do more for him because of the hair dry treatment, but I've never gone for that myself, you know. It might, you know, be, it might be effective on the pitch, but I don't think it would help someone uh, diving into someone's books uh, <laughs> as, as much. Um, now, uh, you have uh, an industry uh, that is, is, frankly, an aging industry. Uh, less young people are joining um, 
uh, an accountancy firm at the moment. Uh, why is that? I didn't know there was less accountancy students uh, jo- uh, joining firms. I just I don't know what that is. I mean, I have no idea what that is. Uh, I mean, I, I can't really answer that. I'm sorry. I, what I don't is know your what advice is. to a young person who is in secondary school considering uh, a career in accountancy? Okay. Now, it, we, we, we've taken a lot of pride in taking lots of students here and lots of kids Loads of um, quite a few clients, sons and daughters who've maybe had an interest in in maybe being an accountant. Basically, the first thing is you've got to like figures. You don't necessarily have to be good at maths. I mean, people think you have to be good at maths, but it's not really the case. You just have to have a love of figures and see a spreadsheet, for instance, or uh, columns of figures and not be turned off by it. That really can be the start, believe it or not, of accountancy. Because, you know, what goes on in an accountancy firm is we think, you know, fantastically interesting from a point of view of people's lives, their finances, you know, the way they run the businesses. But a love of figures is the first thing, you know, and if that doesn't turn you off, then you could, you could be, you could, you could avoid university as well, which is a real big thing. You could get a, an apprenticeship with a firm and, you know, do your studying at night, become an accountant in four or five years without any kind of debt, then maybe you can take a year or two off to go and do your, your traveling, but you become an accountant, you know, or you sacrifice two or three years of your life, three or four years, hard, hard work, but it can be absolutely fantastic. We've done a couple of guys in our practice that have done that and they've become qualified at the age of 27 with a chance of, you know, owning and running a practice. I think it's tremendous, you know. So there's a lot of opportunity out there in the accountancy oh, field. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity. I mean, as you say, there's obviously going to be a shortage. Uh, I mean, obviously, computers are, are making the most incredible differences now. I mean, the, the way things have changed, things are so quick now, so fast that technology now, you can get hold of bank statements and the computer, you, you put them into computer, the whole thing is analyzed for you into into, into different subjects. It's incredible the speed and the young the youngsters out there today the, the ones that we we've been employed or using they've got tremendous knowledge of of excel and it's, it's just fantastic what the way they're coming into the, the business now you know it used to be really tedious when i started you know there was when i started there was hardly any even adding machines you know you had to do a lot of things by hand you know mm. it was it was um, amazing that the turnaround now you know um but no, I think it's a tremendous opportunity, and I'm, I'm sad to hear that's the case that people are not going into to accountancy as, as they used to be. You know. Now, what sort of leaders inspire you? Um, I, I, I like I like I like the ones that are, that are gung ho. I, I like the ones that can inspire me with with uh, you know good speeches and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and a can-do attitude, and come on, let's go. I mean, I had experience in in coaching a under twelve football team um, for a, for a long time, ten, twelve years, and you know, I didn't really know much about tactics, but I just knew how to get everyone up for it. You know, come on, let's go. We can beat this lot. That kind of stuff. And I think that does. Do, I mean, this is what the country needed after, with Brexit. It needed someone to come up and say, "Come on, we can do it. Let's go for it." You know, and. And and, that, and instead of all the negativity, you can get everyone inspired and say, like, come on, we can do this, lads, come on. You know, I think that's the main thing, you know, um, to have enthusiasm, you know. And if I pressed you to choose one, 
the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Churchill. And of course, Churchill noted for his uh, momentous ability to inspire through his speeches. Um, do you find that any of Churchill's leadership qualities filter down to yourself on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis? No. No. <laughs> no, way. no way. Wouldn't yeah. it be nice? Um, yeah. Now, unfortunately, we're almost out of time. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store at Tussie's Chartered Accountants? Well, we're really, really excited here because, uh, you know, we've got a, a, a two branches um, and, you know, the, the growth is, the growth potential is fantastic. I've got the, the most fantastic set of young staff, which, you know, um, can help to keep an old dinosaur like me in check. You know, they, they're up for any kind of innovation and improvement. They're all enthusiastic about clients. Uh, I've got a fantastic atmosphere here. I just couldn't wish for anything anything better I've been very very fortunate with with the staff that I've got you know and uh, you know I'm going to be slowing down in the next few years but I know that uh, thank God the company is in good hands you know uh, I just hope that you know the country after Brexit can really really take off I mean if I may say just a final thing the, the, the advantage we've got now in Britain is that in the 70s of course we went cap in hand to Europe because we were completely skint and completely in throes of the unions, of course. Now we appear to be in a really strong position, so we could we don't have to go begging anymore. We can actually do our own thing. So it, even though I voted to remain, I think I'm very excited about the prospects in the future. You know, I'm glad to hear that optimism. Uh, it's something that I, I hope the rest of the country embraces post haste. Um, Thank you. David, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, you. and uh, you're welcome on the podcast anytime. Please come Thank back you. soon. Uh, David, I'd like to. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was David Tussie, director and founder of Tussie's Chartered Accountants. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team, when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. 
was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Grees in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It it's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, 
you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they—they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but 
the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on with, all together all those years later it didn't just finish after 66 it, that reunion that camaraderie that team spirit mm. um, uh, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long 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 time and I wouldn't and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, Thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, 
thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.